Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. podcast where we start with a random article explore it then follow the links and see where it takes us john what's your article i'm more curious about what yours is to be honest with you but well i'll start (laughs) i'll start here we go my article today is felipe bigarni who was uh also known as felipe bigarni felipe bigarni or felipe (laughs) de borgona etc Etc. That's enough names. Enough. Enough, okay? Uh, he was also sometimes referred to as El Bornon, or the Burgundian. Mm. He was a sculptor born in, you guessed it, Burgundy, but who made his career in Spain and was one of the leading sculptors of the Spanish Renaissance, living from 1475 until 1542. He was also an architect. So, Eric... You're up, and I'm going to go ahead and venture a guess. <laughs> okay, go for it. Small town. Incorrect. Moth. It is... Neolithocelsus. A genus of moths in the family Gracilaridae. <laughs> it can't be! It can't be! How have we gotten this many moths? Like, no way. I can understand getting a, you know, variety of organisms, right. like living things. Biology but in general. specifically moths. There's so many other insects, aren't there? I'm there pretty sure there's a lot be. of other insects. I certainly think that there are a lot of other insects out there. <laughs> Plenty of frogs, snakes, birds, anything else. But bacteria. There's so many microorganisms. Oh, yeah. Like, well, what? Why? Why moths? Why? 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 <sighs> I get it. I get it. Like the villages <laughs> thing. That sort of made sense. Like, there's probably more towns out there. There are towns yeah. with no people than there are towns with a lot of people. I get that because all the people left those towns and went to the towns <laughs> where there's a lot of people. But, but the moths. The moths. It just doesn't make sense. The moths. Mm-mm. In any case, have we? Is it is it karmatic that we keep getting moths? Do we ever go with moths? We have gone with. We the went moths. with a moth the one time. Yeah. And ever since then, we've never stopped getting moths. If you give a moth a cookie, <laughs> I'm telling you. Literally, because we're on the internet, and there's a cookie. <laughs> in 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 the internet, you know, internet cookies. Listener, listener, do you get the joke? Oh, yeah. Listener, <laughs> listener. Okay. If you like the other joke, I will have to try clearing my history or just clearing everything yeah just re just reinstall the whole operating system open the window and just throw both of our laptops out (laughs) into the street right now we'll go to a stranger yep commandeer their phone (laughs) and try the random article on there because the random article algorithm has been so messed up because (laughs) we showed interest in mods one time one time that's all we wanted oh you like mods you like mods huh you're gonna click on some of these links okay Yes, you like moths. Please read some of these moth articles that we have nobody else has way too many of them i wonder if that's what happens with wikipedia's randomization algorithm if it's like a matter of Articles that haven't had that many views or page mm. clicks, and it's just kind of like, well, here's this one. Nobody else is looking at it. You might as well. In which case, I feel bad for this guy, who is probably the place our article is going to go. <laughs> or our, our episode is going to go, I should say. Yep. Because this Felipe Bigarni guy, he's pretty darn good. Uh, his name is as follows Felipe with an F, F E L I P E. Bigarni, big R, like army with like an 
N instead of an M. Mm. Big, Big Arnie. Arnie. Big Arnie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's his name. Big Arnie. Big Arnie Felipe. I certainly hope that his uh, <laughs> friends and family always called him Big Arnie. Hey, Big Arnie. <laughs> hey, Big Arnie. Other Big Arnie. They had the Big Arnie reunion. Yeah. Got all the Big Arnies together the Big Arnie. in one place. <laughs> We got the biggest Arnie's in the town. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> big Arnie's. <laughs> Come down church. to Big Arnie's. We got big full <laughs> fried steaks for you. Jesus. <laughs> okay, so this guy was a sculptor, like I said before, also an architect, but he showed uh, various influences, including those from uh, the Flemish, from the Burgundian, and uh, as well as Italian Renaissance influences. He gained prestige working in various parts of Spain, which led to his becoming a master sculptor and carver of the Burgos Cathedral. Ooh. Yeah. He also played a role in creating many important works for the Crown of Castile, simultaneously operating several studios and thus becoming quite wealthy. Wow. You scroll down some, you see his masterpiece, his main altarpiece of the Toledo Cathedral. This guy was wow. some serious business. Mm-hmm. It, he did not mess around. No, he did not. That is so much work. That yeah, <laughs> there is a lot going on. It's like the main, like all the different people and stuff. But then you have in between all the people, like all the little tiny, intricate, little decoration and everything. Yeah, he didn't just stop at the at the scenes and the vignettes within the sculpture. He made the interim interesting as well, and that is something that seems almost entirely unnecessary, <laughs> but at the same time makes it all the more impressive. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. I was so taken aback by that for so long. I was just staring at it, just like having my eyes scan it for more and more details. But wow, I'm impressed. Okay. Master sculpture indeed. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. A lot of people say that. I feel like that's been given given out a little, you know, full-heartedly. And this guy I haven't even heard of. Yeah. Has come along and uh, bedazzled me here. All right. So around 23, he he ventured to Santiago, staying on in Burgos. Uh, There, he executed the technically precise reliefs of the main retro choir of the cathedral in Burgos, which led to further contracts and a lifelong career in Spain. He would end up working in every sculptural genre of the time, executing both sculptures and decoration, and also working in both stone and wood. Wow. So he was he was a very talented man working in every every style, every material that was commonplace at the time. Yeah, I feel like a, people tend to gravitate towards one thing. They're like, all right, this is my you know forte. This is what I specialize in. He's just like, eh, I'll just do whatever. <laughs> yeah, and do it all very talentedly. It would appear. Um, so this uh, Toledo Cathedral picture we were staring at and gawking at in awe for a few minutes uh, is uh, the basic structure of the main altar altarpiece uh, designed by Bigarni in 1499 for which he was contracted by Cardinal Archbishop Francisco Jimenez de Cisneros he also prepared a figure of St. Mark the Evangelist and agreed to sculpt several reliefs for the altarpiece, which he did between that time and 1504. In the same years, he also made sculptures of St. Augustine, Barbara, <laughs> Gregory, Jerome, John the Baptist, and of the Assumption <laughs> for the altarpiece... <laughs> Of the University of Salamanca. I'm telling you, man, I really needed to be Catholic. Like, growing up, like, I feel like I missed out on so much stuff. Oh, man. St. Barbara. St. Barbara. <laughs> like, what? Okay. Whatever. In, in 15 of, 
before? Like, in the 1500s, there's a St. Barbara? I don't know. There's a St. Margarita. She fought off dragons. <laughs> I'm not like, kidding. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, today I could understand some, you know, like a St. Barbara coming along. Like, uh, you know, those kind of names. But I just, I don't know. I feel like Barbara didn't exist back then. But it must have. Let's uh, look up Barbara, given name, and see. Wow. Okay, I guess, uh, I guess it's a pretty old name. I like the picture of Saint of Saint Barbara more, though. She's holding this building. She's pointing at it like, "This is mine. Check it out." <laughs> if you bounce over <laughs> to the article for Saint Barbara, yeah, you see that? Yeah. Like, yo, what up? <laughs> this thing. She's like, hey, look at this. Look I at made this. this. I made this. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. The best. It's like a she was just taking a selfie. <laughs> Yeah, St. Barbara was martyred by her father, who was then punished by lightning. So, there you go. Do we just want to go over to Barbara and see what... I kind of do. She's already pointing at this thing. We're already here. Like, we might as well just be at Barbara at this point. This guy made a whole bunch of other really impressive sculptures, and you can continue to read about them in his article. Uh, of course... Uh, any renaissance sculpturist is pretty impressive but this guy is definitely worth checking out yep. I encourage you to do definitely so definitely top tier sculptor however Saint Barbara you know the early female saints are pretty darn interesting I mean we haven't even had a female pope <laughs> yet so you gotta imagine the things these ladies had to do <laughs> I feel like Saint Barbara just sounds like I don't know, some kind of Lifetime movie or something. It does. Though I may be thinking of, like, St. Elmo's Fire or something. Mm. I don't know. She's known as the Great Martyr Barbara. An early Christian saint and also a martyr. The accounts of her existence place her in the 3rd century in Nicomedia, or present-site Turkey. Or also maybe in Heliopolis of Phoenicia, which is present-day Lebanon. There is no reference to her in the authentic early Christian writings, nor in the original recension of St. Jerome's Martyrology. Her name can be traced to the 7th century, and veneration of her was common, especially in the East, from the 9th century. Because of doubts about the historicality... I'm going to say, instead of that word, <laughs> of her legend, she was removed from the general Roman calendar in the 1969 revision, though not from the Catholic Church's list of saints. So this is a saint who is Saint Barbara, <laughs> who may or may not exist. Interesting. <laughs> so they took her off the calendar. That's how they get her. That's how they get you. <laughs> It took him until 1969, though. I mean, from the 3rd yeah. century until 1969, she had a good run. So do they... I don't know. What's up? I don't know anything about that Roman calendar. Um, I assume they have different saints on different days or something. Yeah, they have saints days. Don't forget All then, Saints Day. Yeah. <laughs> That's where they throw the rest of the saints. Yeah. They celebrate them. There. They have way too many saints for every day of the year, so... Okay, so, um, according to hagiographies, um, Barbara was the daughter of a rich pagan named Dioscorus, and she was carefully guarded by her father, who kept her locked up in a tower in order to preserve her from the outside world. Sounds a little like Rapunzel. A little bit. And, uh, having secretly become a Christian... She rejected an offer of marriage that she received through him. And then, before going on a journey, he commanded that a private bathhouse be erected for her use near her dwelling, and during his absence, Barbara had three windows put in it as a symbol of the Holy Trinity. 
instead of the two originally intended. When her father returned, she acknowledged herself to be a Christian, and upon this he drew his sword to kill her, but her prayers created an opening in the tower wall, and she was miraculously transported to a mountain gorge, uh -huh. where two shepherds watched their flocks. Dioscorus, in pursuit of his daughter, was rebuffed by the first shepherd, but the second betrayed her and was turned to stone. Oh, And snap. his flock changed to locusts. Whoa! <laughs> and then dragged before the prefect of the province, Martinani Martinianus, was, who had her cruelly tortured, Barbara held true to her faith. During the night, the dark prison was bathed in light and new miracles occurred. Every morning, her wounds were healed. Torches that were to be used to burn her went out as soon as they came near her. Finally, she was condemned to death by beheading. Her father himself carried out the death sentence. However, as punishment for this, he was struck by lightning on the way home and his body was consumed by flame. Barbara was buried by a Christian. Valentinus, and her tomb became the site of miracles. And her martyrdom was December 4th in the reign of Emperor Maxianus and Prefect Marcian. And the year was given as 267 in the French version, edited by her father, by, by Father Harry F. Williams of the Anglican Community of the Resurrection. Okay, so I'm not going to pick on the religious aspects of that so much as I'm going to pick on the cause. <laughs> they were building a bathhouse. Mm -hmm. They had planned to put two windows in the bathhouse. She put one more window <laughs> in the bathhouse. As a result of that, they killed her by taking off her head. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> can we can we just think about how irrational like things escalated really, pretty quickly? Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty brutal right there. Like yeah. I don't care about the religious connotations. It's a window. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe don't behead your own daughter over it. Maybe in that case, <laughs> you kind of deserve to get hit by lightning. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, pretty harsh. Yeah. Man. Rough times back then. Yeah, hard to hard to be as somebody who wants to put extra windows and things. <laughs> put too many windows in it, you get tied to some religious affiliation, and, <laughs> and then they start, you know, trying to trying to cut your head off. It's pretty pretty mm -hmm. pretty brutal, pretty pretty grim. Mm -hmm. Ooh, she had a cult. Nice. A cult for her had been traced back to the ninth century. At first in the East, and since there is no mention of her in earlier martyr logs, her historicity is considered doubtful. Hmm. Various versions, including uh, two surviving mystery plays, differ on the location of the martyrdom. It could be Tuscany, it could be Rome, it could be Antioch, it could be Baalbek, it could be Nicomedia. Nobody's quite sure. Probably because it's not a thing. Kind of a neat thing, though. Saint Barbara is one of the 14 holy helpers, and her association with the lightning that killed her dad caused her to be invoked against lightning and fire. By association with explosions, she is also the patron of artillery and mining. <laughs> patron of artillery. Saint they, Barbara. <laughs> oh, Barbara. Saint like of artillery. They just... <laughs> Hallow be they, thy gun. They put, they put like a sticker on each piece of artillery, and it's just a sweet old lady holding like a pie or something. Well, actually, Eric, go ahead and scroll down a little bit. Scroll down to the subheading, The Order of St. Barbara, and you'll see a picture of a medallion, which is almost that. <laughs> on one side of the coin, sweet old lady. On the other side of the coin, cannon. <laughs> cannon with cannonballs. So, a lady who wanted to put an extra window in a bathhouse, now on artillery and yep. on a medal for surviving artillery. Correct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's, that's where I'm at with all this. 
<laughs> I, I really don't know where else to be. Uh, it says that she does have some presence in modern popular culture. Uh, St. Barbara's Day or Eid il Berbera is celebrated in Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Palestine, as well as Israel among Arab Christians annually on December 4th. In a feast similar to that of a North American Halloween... Which is weird because I've never had a feast. Yeah, I, I don't. Do they um, get a whole bunch of candy? Is that what they're saying? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we should have feasts on Halloween. That sounds good. I'm a fan of feasts. Well, here we go. The traditional food for the occasion is berbera, a bowl of boiled barley, pomegranate seeds, raisin, anise, and sugar. Uh, wow, that sounds disgusting. It's really not appealing. <laughs> <laughs> and it says walnuts or almonds can be added, which Don't. makes it that much worse. <laughs> I mean, like I like I like some of what they're going for there as accents in any other dish, but together or by itself. Why like, are you doing that? Who who uh, told you that was a good idea? Oh wow, I I think the Catholic Church like did us all a favor, <laughs> did us all a solid by getting this lady off the calendar, just being yeah. like. You know, maybe she did exist, maybe she didn't. But at the same time, we don't want to eat this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it came down to. I see what's going on now, for real. Ah, oh, interesting. The first Spanish-language telenovela filmed in color for the TV, for TV in the United States was the 1973 production of Santa Barbara, Virgin uh, E. Martyr. Santa Barbara. Filmed entirely on location in Hialeah. Florida. Hey, Alea. Hey, Alea. Hi, Alea. Hi, Alea. Yeah, I never, I did not put that together that Santa Barbara, California is named after St. Barbara. That totally makes sense. Oh, man. <laughs> Revelations. <laughs> now, why she has a name, a town named after her, I don't know. I'm not gonna put too much thought into it. Just gonna assume that you know she was a a bigger a bigger uh, a popular character in her day yeah. than she is now. Um, well, and uh, in an episode of The Closer called Time Bomb, the LAPD deploy a bomb squad robot named Babs after Saint Barbara in her role as patron saint of artillery and explosives personnel. Although, of course, there's also a play by George Bernard Shaw called Major Barbara, in which the title character is an officer in the Salvation Army who grapples with the moral dilemma of whether this Christian denomination should accept donations from her father, who is an armaments manufacturer, which directly <laughs> references, of course, mm. the patron saint of artillery. <laughs> St. Barbara. <laughs> There's also a song by The Hold Steady called Don't Let Me Explode, and it mentions St. Barbara. Wow. Well, that was an adventure of an article. I mean, that, that was a good place <laughs> to, to run over to, for sure. So where to from here? That's the tricky part, because I don't think we're going to be able to top this. We've... We can go to Barbara Given Name and see if there's any other Barbaras that are notable, other than, like, you know, Barbara Streisand or... Barbara Manatee. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, where do you see the link to Barbara Given Name? Down at the bottom, see also. Ah, okay. See also. There's also a link to something called Cal... Kalgoorlie, which is a mining town. Kalgoorlie. Kalgoorlie. Where's Where's Kalgoorlie? It's um, under the heading patronage. Oh, okay. <clears throat> but we do we have done towns before. We haven't done too many names. So. We haven't done like yeah general first names like just Barbara as a name. Maybe we should just go, go to that and see what it is. All right. Let's do it. Barbara given name. So it's the feminine form of the Greek word barbaros. 
meaning oh. foreign. And in Spanish, Portuguese, and Italian, it means barbarian or barbaric. So that's a lovely name to give somebody. Yeah, that's a <laughs> real winner. <laughs> you want your kid to behave and be docile. You sure want to name him this. <laughs> well, barbarian and barbaric kind of goes along with artillery. I suppose. I mean, it's not subtle. <laughs> so other saints that have this name are Barbara Avrilo, known as Mary the of the Incarnation, and Barbara Koob, other also known as Marianne Cope. What? Okay, hold on. If you have a different name entirely, Mary is not Barbara. <laughs> Who said that Mary was Barbara? Who told you this? Come on. It is among the top 100 most popular names for female babies born in Chile, Hungary, Poland, and Slovakia. Of, of the top 100. Not yeah. the top like 25 or 50. Top well, 100. Top 10 names given in Czech Republic and Georgia. And there's also the Russian variant, Varvara. Varvara. <laughs> I've not heard that variant. Nah, we're pretty narrow-minded in what kind of, you know, Russian female names get embedded in your head. <laughs> like Igna. Mm. Agabovagna. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the 1930s, Barbara was third place in wow. popularity in wow. the United States. Oof. But in 2013, it is in 838th place. Whoa, that dropped quite a bit. <laughs> quite a bit. That's like dead last. Yeah. I guess it kind of like right down there next to like Ethel and some mm. and some similar names like that. Like it's just not. It just seems yeah, old fashioned. It's, now. Yeah, it's very antiquated. Ooh, yeah, antiquated. Good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are a lot of variants. Oh boy, this is gonna be fun. <laughs> I wish they sorted it by uh, uh, languages, mm. but they yeah, just kind of nice. have a list of variants. How are we gonna break this down here? Well, we can't say the Chinese one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Although not they, even the Greek one. The Chinese one, to be fair, does look like two Bs. Yeah. <laughs> like two B B B R. And we can assume the last one is R. Yeah. <laughs> BBR. BRB. Well, a lot of these are just Barbara. Some of these. Varvara. Var. Varvara. Varvara. <laughs> Barushka. We got a Barushka. <laughs> uh, Baba. Which I've never heard. I'm disappointed at the lack of Barbushka. <laughs> There's Barbara. There's just Bar. Yep. Babby. Barbell. Babette. Babs. <laughs> I like Babs. <laughs> yeah. Biba. Barbala. <laughs> Babin. Bear Bara. Barbar, barbell, That's bearable. Barbell, <laughs> barbell, barb. <laughs> of course, barb. Barbara, 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 <laughs> Barbear, Barbarella, Barbary, Barbie. Oh snap! I didn't even think <laughs> of that one. Bardora, Bar. Bra. Yep. <laughs> Bar. Bro. Bar. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> that. I want there we go. a son and daughter named Bar. Bro and Bar. Bra. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Life plan. Bar. Bro. Right there. Bar. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got Bara. Basia. Basca. Bassinaka. 
Barka. Berber. Bobby. Bobby. Borbala. Varvara. Barunka. Papa. <laughs> Barborka. Barbus. Barus. Baroska. Yeah. Some cool, cool names. Uh, I'm really kind of disappointed that we don't hear a lot of those, but mm. it's interesting how many cultures it has uh, permeated, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> now we have our options of the next article limited to countries or people named Mary <laughs> or people named Barbara. Yeah, there's a lot of Barbaras. Ooh, Pennsylvanian politician. Hey, there we go. Let's see what we got. Barbara Adams. Bar, Barbara. Barbara. Gotcha. Disappointed that Barbara Manatee is not in this list. <laughs> Felt like she would have been a significant enough figure mm. in the childhoods of many internet users. <laughs> Barbara Adams. Not much to say about her. Sure isn't. I'll say that thing. Born in 1951 in Kansas. But she's not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Appointed General Counsel of Pennsylvania in 2005 hmm. by Governor Ed Rendell. And she held that until 2011. And, okay, so even though she was born in Kansas, she was raised in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Mm. Okay. And uh, she had been a partner with Dwayne Morris LLP in Philadelphia since 1986. And um, she joined that firm as an associate in 1977. And she graduated from Temple University School of Law in 1978. So, um, what is a general counsel? Uh, that's a darn good question. As a person who kind of studied that sort of thing, I should know that. <laughs> but I mean, it's not an attorney general. I know what an attorney general does. General counsel, I feel like might be kind of a sidearm to the attorney general. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Well, do we want to go there or do we want to go elsewhere? Yeah. Pottsville could be interesting. Pottsville could be interesting. So could Philadelphia for that matter. True. Hmm. Doesn't Pottsville have Yingling? Pottsville does have Yingling. That could, uh, that's some branding waiting to happen <laughs> right there. All right, well, bouncing over to general counsel. Just answer the, uh, oh, there we it go. It is a chief legal officer. So, literally, like a general counsel, like legal counsel. Basically appointed to the Pennsylvania state government as someone who is going to give them legal advice. Yes. At the highest levels, of course, but still. So, should we go on to Pottsville? Let's do that. Let's go. I'm sure there is much to say about Pottsville. Boy, is there ever. Population of 14,324. Nice big number. It's a city that lies along the west bank of the Schuylkill River, directly 97 miles northwest of Philadelphia. It is located in Pennsylvania's coal region, but coal is not what this town is known for. No, sir. So this uh, land actually was granted to William Penn himself. And 
It comprised all lands west and south of Delaware and the Schuylkill. And the site of Pottsville was originally in Chester County. And then um, when the Legislative Council on May 10th, 1729, enacted the law erecting Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. What up? Shout out. Okay. Which included all the lands of the province lying westward of a straight line drawn northeasterly from the headwaters of Octorera Creek near the southern borders, marked with blazed trees to the Schuylkill River. Then this placed Pottsville in Lancaster County. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. By, <laughs> by enacting of this enactment of the same council approved on March 11th, 1752, Berks County was erected. This placed Pottsville within the limits of that county. But so it just kept getting pushed out into different counties as they you take it. No, you take it. No. <laughs> they kept you. like, "Wait a minute. We can make another county here." Yep. Wait a minute. Let's make another county here. No, you. <laughs> so, yeah. Once, I guess, Lancaster County used to be much, much bigger. It was. It was huge. But, on to the main event. In 1829, D.G. Yingling and Son established what is now the oldest operated family beer brewery in the United States. And in 1851, Pottsville became the county seat. The original county seat being Orwigsburg. But forget that place, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, and uh, they don't actually talk about Yingling in this article. Except for so. that brief mention of them being established. But the, as it turns out, there isn't only a tie to the beer industry here. The fashion industry has a pretty big tie to Pottsville as well. Because of its location along the Schuylkill River, Pottsville developed a small textile industry, and out of that grew the Phillips Van Heusen Company, also known as Van Heusen, which was founded in 1881. Moses Phillips and his wife Endell began sewing shirts by hand and selling them from push carts to the local coal miners. Mm. Van Heusen and other textile companies left the region starting in the late 1970s, mainly as a result of foreign competition. Uh, but I can attest to the fact that if you drive up Route 61, which goes mm. right through Schuylkillhaven and eventually Pottsville, you will see on the right-hand side and left-hand side of your of your commute two buildings that are large and labeled Van Heusen on them. Mm. They're still there. They're just not necessarily making as much here. <laughs> They're doing something here, though. So that's kind of interesting to think about. Mm -hmm. um, and I always wondered, I, I never really understood, like, why are there buildings with Van Heusen on them up here? Because it doesn't really <laughs> seem like an area where, like, a lot of people are wearing, like, suits to work every day. And I associate yeah. Van Heusen with wearing suits to work every day. Uh. But the fact that they started out making... Uh, shirts for coal miners makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So, during the Prohibition, um, under the 18th Amendment, Yingling stopped making beer and moved to production of near beer. And the three brews produced in this time were the Yingling Special, the Yingling Poor Tour, and finally, the Yingling Hubo. Which was a cereal beverage. Okay. Uh, and at the time, the owner was Frank Yingling, who opened the Yingling Dairy, which produced ice cream and other dairy products for the local area. And these ventures helped to keep the company afloat during that period. Smart move. Yeah, it worked. He was like, you know what, just got to ride this out. And once... Prohibition is not a thing anymore, then we will get back to making beer. Though I have to say, uh, making ice cream under the Yingling brand whenever Prohibition was not a thing was not as successful. Unfortunately, Yingling did try this again more recently, and uh, I dare you to try to find Yingling ice cream now, <laughs> because I'm well, pretty sure it's not around. 
I they have it at the local giant. Do they? I yeah. Wow. They okay. Do. They are still making That's it. That's actually the only place that I've seen it. Yeah, it's recall. not it's not many places. Yeah. That is now almost as prohibitive as as beer was during <laughs> prohibition. Like you could find it somewhere, but not most places. <laughs> I do kind of want to try it. It's worth trying. Some of their flavors are really good. Their black and tan is probably their mm. pièce de résistance. That, yeah. that is probably the best one. Um, as is the case with their beer. But right. That's just my opinion. <laughs> they just make black and tan very good. They know how to do black and tan. Like they could open a leather shop and just do black <laughs> and tan. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> Bad puns aside, when the 18th Amendment was repealed, Yingling stopped production of near beer and resumed making alcoholic beverages. The brewery famously sent a truckload of its winter beer to the White House in 1933 as thanks to President Franklin D. Roosevelt for the repeal of Prohibition. Uh, the Yingling brand still continues its family-owned business today, mostly in Pottsville. It is the second-largest American-owned brewery after the Boston Beer Company, who produces Sam Adams beer. The Yingling Dairy was operated by a different branch of the family from the brewery, and business declined, and the dairy folded as of 1985. <laughs> Attempted buyouts of Yingling by large conglomerate breweries have all been unsuccessful to date. Very happy about that. <laughs> Me too. Because, I mean, they got a good thing going. They don't need any buyouts. They don't. They're pretty good doing their own thing, mm-hmm. obviously, I think. They, pretty obvious. They know what they're doing. As learned during the tour of the um, brewery, they just pass down their, you know, brewery to the next generation, but they must buy it, like, legitimately. Which is one of the best traditions in mm-hmm. any business I have heard. Yep, rather than just, like, changing hands, like, Here you, you go. need to actually work for it and... Here's all this money. Here's all this capital. Here's all this property. Have fun running the empire. Bye. Like that's the worst strategy. Yeah. It's awful. The um, they actually had an NFL franchise in Pottstown or Pottsville um, from 1925 to 1928. The Pottsville Maroons. I keep wanting to say morons. <laughs> played in it's Sportsman's Park. <laughs> um, yeah. But they... Um, I've passed a sign that has this story <laughs> on it so many times on my way to college and back. <laughs> it's not even funny, but it's kind of sad. Yeah. They essentially just relocated to Boston, became the Boston Bulldogs, and then folded in 1929. Or, you know, became the Patriots, whichever came first. (laughs) The thing was that this team had claimed to the NFL championship, but for whatever reason, the title was awarded to the Chicago Cardinals by NFL president Joe Carr. So (laughs) if you think that Roger Goodell is the most controversial NFL president, no. If you ask anybody (laughs) in Pottsville, it's definitely... This Joe Carr man, um, and there's still a sign there to this day. Like it's a shopping mall. Like there's a <laughs> there's a, 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 a grocery store and a beer distributor and a place oddly enough with the same font as the one in New Holland, Palermo Pizza. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's Palermo Pizza, blow for blow. Um, is in this strip mall, and by this sad little strip mall, they have a sign saying, "We won." We won the championship <laughs> right here at this uh, strip mall. <laughs> we, we, you know, we, we, we did win it. Probably, it was robbed of us. It's totally ours, though. Like, it's just, like, it's the most, it's the biggest case of ongoing sore losery <laughs> I have ever seen. Oh man, it's so sad. It's so sad. They can't get over it. There, they're so upset. They're still so <laughs> upset. 
until the middle of the 20th century, Pottsville was also a popular destination for many traveling acts and vaudeville performers, which is kind of odd to think of. Yeah. The 1929 film Birth Marks stars comedy legends Laurel and Hardy as they attempt to reach Pottsville by train for one of their booked performances, which is also (laughs) very (laughs) difficult for me to conceive. Pearl Mm -hmm. Bailey had also once resided in Pottsville during the early part of her entertaining career. Citation needed. Ha ha. Gotcha. (laughs) Soldiers in nearby Fort Indian Town Gap. That's not close were prohibited from visiting Pottsville during most of World War II due to the large amounts of illicit venues and activities present during the time. Citation needed. Oh, man, citation. Give me that citation. I want to know about that. (laughs) That sounds like fun. Okay, cool. In August of 1997, the Pottsville Railway Park Little League All-Star Team participated in the Little League World Series in Williamsport, PA, representing the United States Eastern Region. In the World Series, they defeated Dyer, Indiana, one to nothing in an extra inning game. The following evening, they played and lost to Bradenton, Florida at Lamad Stadium before an estimated 35,00 fans. <laughs> <laughs> the, the largest crowd ever to watch a non-championship game. Citation needed. Indeed. Indeed, Wikipedia. Citation needed. The team played their final game against Mission Vejo, California, losing 3-1 and finished one game shy of the United States Championship game. Yep, and then um, in 2007, they completed a streetscaping project on Center Street. And in June 2011, the city of Pottsville became the county's transportation hub for STS, Schuylkill Transportation System, bus service throughout the county with the $16.1 million Union State Intermodal Transit Center at 300 South Center Street. And yeah. So there's a lot of historical places still there. Including D.G. Yingling and Son Brewing Complex and Franklin D. Yingling Mansion. Listed as on the national National Register of Historic Places. I think the best place for us to go from here is probably why we came here in the first place, which would mm. be DG Yingling and Sun Brewing Complex. Let's do it. Yingling, hooray! Oldest brewery in the United States. Blah blah blah. Second biggest after Boston Brewery. Oh, yeah. You know that part. We, we, we just told you. Were you listening? You weren't listening, were you? Whatever. It doesn't matter. Yingling is pronounced, as we've been saying it, Yingling. Uh, its founder's surname and the German term, as it turns out, for young man. The family-owned brewery, uh, as Eric said earlier, changes hands whenever the younger generation is old enough and, you know, well money enough to buy the place, which is, you know... Cool. That's going to be a feat for the next generation, let me tell you. They're going to team up. They're going to have to, like, all work together to earn earn that place, I'm telling you. (laughs) This gives a much more thorough history of the uh, brewery, though. Uh, It starts out with D.G. Yingling, or David Gottlob jungling <laughs> who emigrated from the jungling United. yeah jungling he was jungling so many things <laughs> that he uh ended up dropping one and he had to chase it to the united states in 1823 well, he's got a lot that he's jungling he has a lot of things he's jungling in his mind uh, as he leaves the suburb of stuttgart aldigen in uh the kingdom of wartenberg his anglicized surname, of course, took him from being jungling to being yingling. And 
he began the Eagle Brewery on Center Street in Pottsville in 1829. Hence the eagle in the logo? Indeed. His eldest son, David Jr., left the Eagle Brewery to establish the James River Steam Brewery along the James River in Richmond, Virginia, which is kind of cool that that happened, at least. The first brewery burned down in an 1831 fire, and the company relocated to West Mahantongo Street at 5th Street, its current location. The Eagle Brewery changed its name to G.G. Yingling & Son in 1873 after Frederick Yingling joined his father, David, in running the company. Although the company's name changed, the bald eagle remained the company's emblem. Ooh, I didn't know this. I knew... Okay. During the late 19th century, breweries were also opened in Saratoga Springs, New York City and Trail, British Columbia. Whoa. Although they were eventually merged with the Pottsville plan. But hold on, hold on. Go back. They opened one in British Columbia? That's <laughs> ambitious. Like, that would have gone to the entire West Coast. Yeah. They probably regret closing that one down. <laughs> like, right by Vancouver? Oh, my yeah. word. That would have been beautiful if they had kept that up. Yeah, now they just have one in... Pottsville in Tampa, Florida. That's amazing, though. That's in the 19th century. That's in the 1800s. They were st- they yeah. were already that expansionist. <laughs> that yeah, that's pretty that's ambitious nice. for the 1800s. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Frank D. Yingling began heading the company in 1899 after his father Fred died. During Prohibition, we already were over that. They made the various special beers we mentioned earlier, and also ice cream. And uh, Richard L. Yingling Sr. Sr. and F. Dorman Yingling succeeded Frank Yingling after their father's death in 1963. Uh, Yingling experienced an increase of sales after a renewed interest in history owing to the United States Bicentennial in 1976. Yingling bought the rights to use the Mount Car- Carbon uh, name and label when Mount Carbon Brewery went out of business in 1977. Uh, Yingling initially brewed beer at Mount Carbon, but eventually abandoned it. <laughs> the dairy remained in the business until 1985. <laughs> so we're like, hey, can we uh, buy the rights to your thing so we can use it? Uh, nah, whatever. <laughs> nah, let's just leave it be. Forget it. Which, I mean, I guess that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do they really need to? Probably not. Let's be honest. Let's be real. Um, yeah, so then uh, Richard L., or otherwise his nickname is Dick Yingling Jr., took over as the fifth generation company president in 1985. The same year. It was listed on the National Register of Historic Places as the oldest in the United States. And it was also listed in the Pennsylvania Inventory of Historic Places at some unspecified date. Uh, Yingling has been a registered trademark for a variety of merchandise, including beer, since 1995. That seems a little more, a little recent. I feel like it should be older than that. Yeah, I don't know what exactly went on there that prevented that, but... Hmm. Well, the in 1987, uh, the brewery reintroduced a lager they had not made in decades to take advantage of a spike in heavier style beers. Wait, 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 wait. They only started making lager in 1987? What were they doing? <laughs> like, that's their staple now. That's crazy. Yeah, that's that's the yingling that you order. Yeah, you that's... Order you order a lager. Lager has become synonymous <laughs> with yingling yeah. in this area in just 20 <laughs> years. Less than. Yeah. Um, but yeah, since that time, yingling lager has become its flagship, flagship brand. 80% of production is the lager. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy. In 1990, the brewery sold 138,000 barrels 
and within a year, the company was calling itself a major microbrewer, reflecting a resurgence in interest in craft breweries happening nationally. And at the time, Yingling was the largest brewers of porter in the United States. Which is odd, because that's not what they were selling. <laughs> in the early 1990s, demand throughout the Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware region outstripped the existing breweries' facilities, so in 1999, they increased their manufacturing capacity by purchasing Stroh Brewery Company in Tampa, Florida, hiring the former Stroh employees, and began working with a trade union for the first time. In 2000, the company built a third brewery in Pennsylvania, in Port Carbon, in Schuylkill County, very close to Pottsville. Hmm. With production in Port Carbon, Tampa, and Pottsville's plants, the company had been able to expand throughout the entire East Coast instead of being limited to just the Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware region. Yingling was just named, at that point in time, the oldest as well as the largest brewing company in America. Nice. And um, Yingling employees filed for union decertification in 2006, and as a result, Yingling did not renew a contract with Teamsters Local 830 of Philadelphia in March 2006. And in response, the trade union began boycotting Yingling products. And then, as of 2012, Yingling is a moderately priced beer popular northward through New York, westward until Indiana and Kentucky, and southward through Georgia, where it has a large following. And the Tampa Brewery supplies Florida Gulf Coast, the Florida Keys, Central Florida, basically all of Florida. Yeah. And as well as <laughs> Alabama and Tennessee. <laughs> And uh, it actually uses corn from Minnesota and hops from Washington as ingredients in its products. Hmm. And Yingling Beer returned to Massachusetts on March 3rd, 2014, after having circulated amongst some bars and restaurants beginning in February. I'm surprised it's so, like, weird for it to... It already goes to New York. It's not that far of a yeah. drive. Like, it, all you have to do is take the beer from here... To there, yeah. <laughs> That's all you gotta do. It's right there. It's just like you go to New York, you, if you're able to get to New York City. Okay, great. Stay on the same road for another like hour and a half, and you'll end up in Massachusetts. Like, yeah. just I don't get it. I don't get it at all. <laughs> anyway, uh, Yingling began distribution uh, in the state of Georgia in 2008, uh, expanding to West Virginia in 2009 and Ohio in 2011. So a lot of it's very recent. Rhode Island in Connecticut also only coming in just last <laughs> year in 2014. So that's pretty pretty recent expansion for yeah. their markets. Um, meanwhile, though, old Dick Yingling is grooming his daughters three of the four being Jennifer Yingling Franklay, Wendy Yingling Baker, and Deborah Yingling Fairhat to continue the Yingling tradition as the sixth generation of the brewing family. According to a guide of the free tour that the brewery offers at their flagship location, each succeeding owner has bought the company at full market price. And apparently that's six. <laughs> this generation is going to carry on the tradition. <laughs> but it takes three of them this time. <laughs> All three together might buy it, yeah. yeah. But I guess this would be the first uh, female-owned generation? It looks like it, but, I mean, at the same time, they're keeping up the namesake. And, yeah. I mean, Yingling is a great business model. Mm -hmm. Yingling is apparently I, I, Yingling looks very feminist to me. Yeah. In, in, in the fashion that, like, they're keeping the family name. They are doing, like, the man thing and keeping their <laughs> their name in the marriage. Yeah. And, you know, oh, they're yeah. taking I up mean, the building. I mean, if I was a, you know, if daughter you of Yingling, yeah. <laughs> like, like, gotta keep that name. Yeah. Yeah, like, it doesn't matter who I'm marrying. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure my name takes precedence over you. Like, yeah. I don't see your name all over the East Coast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it's a little important. A little important. <laughs> it's heritage and stuff. Yeah. All right, products. Here we go. Got the traditional lager, mm. which is the, you know, 
most popular. Mm-hmm. Got the light yacht lager, which is a low calorie, but you know, gotta appease the whoever. It's okay. It's not bad. Um, Yingling Premium Beer, mm-hmm. which is a standard American Pilsner. And then there's the Premium Light Beer. And then there's the Original Black and Tan. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's a mixture of Yingling Premium Beer at 40% and Dark Brewed Porter at 60%. And it's very nice. Very smooth. And we got the Dark Brewed Porter, which is also very nice. A Baltic Porter with a very dark cola color, appearing almost black in the glass, with a pale tan head and a strong malt flavor. And instead of using the traditional top-fermenting ale yeasts in most porters, they use a bottom-fermented, a few mainstream breweries produce in this style. And we got the Lord Chesterfield Ale, named for Philip Stanhope, 4th Earl of Chesterfield. Ah, yes. And this is Yingling's hoppiest beer. This is not a true ale, as it is brewed with bottom-fermenting type lager yeast. Like the traditional lager, it is usually sold in green bottles, but also in cans, and has an element of corn in its profile. It is very carbonated and tends to sprout a large but short-lived head when poured. As of 2007, Lord Chesterfield is no longer sold in kegs, however quarter kegs were put back on the market in 2008. Then we got the Yingling Bach, and it was introduced in February 2009, and it was the return of a discontinued beer that was last brewed in the 70s. It was sold draft only, and it was a spring seasonal beer. Then we got the Yingling Oktoberfest and the Summer Wheat, which is less hoppy than the normal brew. And then the no longer produced Old German, which is a slightly sweet lager sold in short brown bottles that resemble barrels. Its inexpensive retail price... One dollar and fifteen cents for a six pack wow. in 1986, equal to two dollars and forty eight cents today. Oh my God! Made it a favorite of college students. No, Old German is still made by Iron City Brewery, but it's not two dollars and forty eight uh, cents for a six pack. No, <laughs> that's, that <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> How do you do that? Oh no. Yes, somebody needs to bring that back. Indeed. And then the other no longer produced one is Half and Half, which originated from Redding's Northeast Taproom, where they mixed a 50-50 blend of Dark Brew Porter and Lord Chesterfield Ale. And the local bar then requested that Yingling sell the draft pre-mixed, and the official Half and Half was born. Uh, and this was replaced by the Black and Tan. That makes some sense. Yep. Good stuff. It is. It is. Always good to review the history of the oldest brewery that is continually operating in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Yep, they've got a fine tradition going here. They do. They do. Okay, so came from Felipe Big Arnie to Yingling. And if you enjoyed this, please visit facebook.com slash podcast. Give us a like and follow. Head over to iTunes and rate and review us. And you can always find new episodes on our website, twc.erictoribio.com. I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and the New Orleans Rhythm Kings for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. Whew. Always fun to talk about you. I don't know mm. why. Yeah. It's, it's just, just an enjoyable topic. Yeah, there's something very American about it. You know, very historical. Yeah. So it's just refreshing. Yes. Yeah. Talking about it's like talking about, you know, drinking a beer. You know, yeah. Sitting out. 
steel plant mm-hmm. which is also very Pennsylvanian yeah and like just going in having a beer and just being like yeah reminiscing mm-hmm. on old times on good things it's a it's a it's a it's a time told tradition it holds true mm-hmm. it's pretty good pretty good stuff yeah yeah ah it's good it's a great way to start off the holidays like that's kind of like yeah. a warm sentimental mm-hmm. sort of sort of episode for us and uh it's a great way to kick off the season Making the Wikipedia Chronicles go back into its winter mode. <laughs> yeah.